What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal. And I'm Brandon. And this is The Way We Ball. All right, Brandon, it is official. It's more official than a ref's whistle. We have home field advantage, fourth place. Who the hell thought we'd be in fourth place at the beginning of the season? I'm still shocked that we're not only in fourth place, that we have home field advantage and we're in the playoffs. Like, what world am I in right now? My favorite is I've been looking at uh, all of, like, the screen caps of the MLS, like, experts predictions, and all of them had, like, 12th, 13th, 12th, 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 and then seeing us finish fourth, like, oh, my God, I just, I love that so much. It's it's crazy, man. Like, again, I feel like Dynamo fans were usually optimistic about our teams. I mean, any home, home crowd is going to be optimistic about their team, but who saw this, man? Like, who saw it? I think we, everyone kind of cohesive, everyone agreed that, fighting for playoff spot would be a successful season and we just blasted all expectations out of the water it is insane no you're exactly right i think everybody would have been happy if we would have finished like in the nine slot or anything that was pushing close to it just anything but hey it's the last month of the season we're completely out of it like it was such a nice change of pace but now to be hosting top four it's it's a totally different vibe the funny thing about that is that the expect- expectations now are so much higher that like if we lose in the first round, I'm out there riding. Even though like had <laughs> season started, I was happy to just be here. Now I'm like, no, we're fourth place. We can take on anyone. The expectations have just gone through the roof. Speaking of expectations, I'm I feel a little let down with the way they've been marketing this playoff game Sunday. Now I know. We didn't know when the game was going to be, what time it was going to be. But prior to that, where's the buildup? Where's the excitement? If it wasn't for the surge and El Batallon and all these supporter groups, I wouldn't see anything on Twitter or, or social media. What, what are your thoughts on the way they're marketing it? I'm 100% with you. You know, we kind of started to mention this in our like group text that we have. And the biggest thing that's annoying me right now is they have the ALCS just a couple of blocks from their headquarters and stadium. And there's nothing to market there. There's no tent out there. They're not doing anything to try to promote inside a Minute Maid. Like, I feel like it was such an easy layup for something where at least... 40,000 fans were going to be able to see something. I've openly joked that I might start asking, can you name two Houston teams that are in the playoffs right now? I think the Astros would be the immediate answer. And I think you would get a lot of, uh, well, Texans aren't in the playoffs. Rockets haven't started yet. Like, I just don't think that they would mention that. And it's frustrating that it seems more like this needs to be upon the fan than it is so much of the marketing team. Their plan has been, well, we've put it out on social. And I just don't think that's good enough. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that's probably the thing that irks me most. Very rarely do you have something that falls in your lap, like the ALCS being played next door, not down the street, not a few miles away, next door. You literally share the same parking lot. Like, where's the presence? Like, go out in the parking lots, get people amped up. Like, this is an exciting time to be a Dynamo fan. We have not been able to say that for years. It's an exciting time. You have a star player, a star Mexican player. Your fourth place, you have home field advantage. Like, be out there, put feet on the cement. Like, it, Dude, it's, I, it's. I thought they could even do something small, like on the road games. Why not host a watch party in the stadium? Get people in there to something just to get a feel for it, to get more excitement. Like, you could have done the smallest things to not have to say, like, your sister or your partnering with the Astros, like, to ask for permission. But you could have done something to draw the fans' attention to our stadium, to the upcoming matches. And I just felt like it's not there. Hand out pamphlets, hand out something besides just posting it on Twitter and then expecting us, the supporters, to just kind of retweet it out. Like, yeah, that is good word of mouth, but that's not good 
enough, in my opinion. And I, I am with you. That really frustrates me. And I feel like it's just a lack of awareness. The frustrating thing is that like those days that the Dynamo and Astros play at the same time, like Astro fans take over pitch. Like why aren't Dynamo folks at pitch during those Astros games? Like just letting, letting it be known like, Hey, playoffs, playoffs start. We know we're in it. We don't know what we know. Just make, just make people aware. It's just very frustrating. Speaking of things to put out on social media and retweet. I feel like they're making that hard too. I hate and actually, I do use that word often, but I hate the Somos Fearless campaign. Like, it just, to me, sounds like someone who's not from market, who's like, okay, how do we make this Tex-Mex? Like, <laughs> I, come from a te- I come from a Mexican family. We're not saying Somos Fearless. Like, no, it, it's not a thing. And it reminds me of that meme. I don't know if you've seen it with Stephanie McMahon, when it's like, when that white lady says gracias after ordering her, her Mexican meal. And I'm going to put it up on the video. Like that's what, whoever came up with that, that's what it reminds me of. So most fearless. It's so generic. Like Houston's just cooler than that, man. Houston is, you know, like when you, when you do stuff like that, you have to be authentic. That doesn't feel authentic. So it also seems like a fork in the road from hold it down. Like look at everybody's social media post hashtag, hold it down, not hashtag almost fearless. Like it's one of those where, why is this suddenly now, being rolled out why wouldn't you even then promote even more for hashtag hold it down especially when we're hosting talk about an easy layup for hold it down like hold down the fort everything this is when you want to hold it down more than any time this year this is when you want to hold it down a hundred percent and it's just one of those things where it's it's frustrating because they want us to pack the shell so much and we want it as fans as well it shouldn't be upon the fan. I've used the analogy in our group chat that it kind of feels like with so much trash in the ocean. Well, it's because you didn't recycle. And it's like, wait a minute, there's a lot of missteps in there. Like, it feels the same way. Oh, you guys didn't pack it because the Astros are going on or because this is going on. And it's just to me, it's like, y'all need to do a bigger part as well. And I, I feel I feel like our frustration is warranted. And I think a lot of the fans listening are probably like head nodding along with us because I feel like they're just as frustrated. Yeah, so we should probably move on because it's a time to celebrate. This is a yes, it is. This is a great time. We just had to get that out there because it's it's frustrating. I don't feel like the off the scene stuff matches what we're seeing on the field. We're seeing grade A soccer on the field, and everything else isn't there yet. But we've seen growth year by year um, ever since Ted took over. So maybe that's his next endeavor is fixing all the in-house, all the behind the scenes stuff. So let's move on because we actually have a really um, interesting interview with a, um, a mental performance consultant. He, uh, he studied sports psychology um, and we have a quick 20, 30 minute chat with him. So we'd love to get to that and we don't want to take up too much of the listeners time. So before we move on to playoffs, let's talk about that game against Portland I was not expecting that kind of performance. I mean, we talked about this being a like a trial run for us, maybe for the first half. Domination. I don't I don't recall us playing like that in a very long while. Like it just felt like start to finish, domination away in Portland. It was a very good way to end the season, and I feel very optimistic going into playoffs after that performance. 
See, I think I think you kind of hit it on the head there, especially with on the road, because we saw it when Colorado came in and we ran them out 5-1, especially kind of with the same lineup as well. And then seeing that on the road in the most Portland-esque conditions, rainy, <laughs> wet, cold, the fans were out rocking and roaring, but we kind of mentioned it on our little bit of a preview. It felt like more of the pressure was going to be on Portland because they had a lot to play for. And now look, they're out. They completely missed out on the playoffs now after that 3-1 drumming. But you're right. The style of play was incredible. And one thing that I found really funny, of course, the first goal came off a corner after I mentioned like, man, it seems like our set pieces from the corners do absolutely nothing. And then Dorsey with just a gorgeous header from Herrera. Like that was that was so positive to see, because if we can start to add that into the arsenal, like that's exactly what you need going into the playoffs. That angle was nuts, though, to be fair, like. How many times, like nine times out of 10, like how are you scoring that angle? That angle was insane that he got that off. Um, another thing, I mean, look, Dorsey is going to get his praises and he deserves it this yeah. week. I hope he doesn't pay for a single meal in the city of Houston this week after <laughs> what he pulled off um, or the way he's been playing, not just last week, but um, he's been playing amazingly. But one thing that I don't think we're going to talk about those goals because they were great goals, right? He got a brace, but yeah. man, his defense, the 17th minute specifically, there was a stop. And I don't think if Dorsey makes that stop, I think that's a goal. And I think that would have changed the whole dynamic of the game. Um, at that point, it was one nothing. I want to say still. So mm -hmm. it would have been a 1-1 one -one draw, or I'm sorry, it would have been a 1-1 one -one tie at that point. And I, again, we're playing in Portland. It would have, I think it would have changed the whole dynamic of the match, but the... Again, we're focusing on the offense because we put up three goals, but man, that defense looked great. Um, I mean, there was maybe one or two opportunities, but Artur playing lights out, Dorsey running back like a madman. I feel really, really comfortable going into playoffs. No, and you're right. And also Steve Clark, I mean, longtime Portland keeper as well, going back home, and he was he looked fantastic. He made some saves that were some of them were right at him, but in terms of some angles, like he made some quick reactions. He made it look simple when he was back there. He definitely deserves flowers as well. But, you know, talking about the defensive line, I think that's where if you watch Svetchenko and his communication back there and how he makes sure everybody's in line is that's where I think is his biggest his biggest plus to this team. The, the way he gets us lined up is so incredible that that's exactly what we need, especially going into the playoffs. Portland, sorry we had to do it to you like that, but we needed that home field advantage. We needed those uh, – actually, I'm going to hold my tongue there. But we needed those Salt Lake folks to come experience the uh, the heat in Houston. I think you knew where I was going with that. With Damn Salt right. Lake, they so. need to feel the hell okay. in the shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Brandon, let's move on. Um, let's talk about our next opponent, Salt Lake – Real Salt Lake, excuse me. Sunday, 5 o'clock at the Shell. How are you feeling about Real Salt Lake in this match? So we have a lot of similarities, just kind of like how I bro uh, gave a little bit of head-to-head -head matchup with Portland in our previous one. I kind of will do the same here with Real Salt Lake. So in total, we faced them 40 times, uh, 15 wins for us, 13 for Real Salt Lake, 12 draws. Uh, and this in those 40 matchups, we've scored 54 goals. They've scored 51. You're going to notice that in a lot of these kind of statistics that I'm throwing out, we're super, super similar. Now, here's a big difference. At home, when we play Real Salt Lake, we're outscoring them 12 to 3. 
on the road, they're outscoring us three to 10. So it's, it's definitely a big difference there. Now this year we did get the best of them. We beat them back to back games. We beat them three, one at home. And then we beat them three nil on the road. Both of those games though, were just three days apart. First one was a league's cup game. And then we beat them in regular season. But when you start to look at their overall record, this is where I find it to be, I guess scary would be a little bit of the worrisome here because Real Salt Lake, they have a much better road record than most teams. In fact, at home, they have six wins, four draws, seven losses. On the road, seven wins, four draws, five losses. And their goal scoring is pretty much similar. They uh, they have 25 goals for at home and 22 uh, on the road. They had a minus overall differential. But that's scary to think of a team that is good on the road especially when us coming in, we only have three road wins. We are pretty much a dominant home team. In fact, I mean, almost all of our wins, uh, 11 wins at home this season. So it goes to show how important us getting that home field advantage really was, especially against a team that is, is has a great road record. Now, looking at their players, they I don't know if Pablo Ruiz is going to play. He tore his meniscus in August uh, in a Leagues Cup game, and that's usually like a six, four to six month recovery. So he could be like right on that cusp of coming back. But how how productive is he really going to be? Yeah, um, I'm I'm looking here at, at some of those at those stats you were throwing at us. Um, I hate to say it, man, because I think we agreed uh, we both love Diego Luna and. Yeah, we're going to be going up against them. So, um, yeah, I think uh, beating a dead horse here, I think this is when Houston really thrives with that home field advantage, being that they're coming in um, in cooler temperatures. I don't know what the forecast is going to be um, for Sunday, but um, hopefully it's a hot. Well, not too humid. It's like high 80s right? and then at night it's like 76. So it's not Salt Lake weather. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's going to be fun. Look, I have a lot of confidence. I hope that uh, the fact that it's a playoff game, unfortunately, doesn't look like we're going to have baseball playoffs after the last score that I checked. So Houston, Texans will will have already played five o'clock playoff soccer for the first time in seven years. Come out, be loud. We talked about this actually with our with our interview guest how important it is for the players to feel that energy from the fans. And he does a really good way of, of explaining that. So uh, yeah, no, we're, it's exciting, man. I, I, I just, this important, this first game Sunday, call me crazy. I think this is a must win for us based off what you're telling me and the stats and, and how we're doing and, and how we do away. I, I feel like this is a must win for us. It, it, it has to be that statement game for us. It's going into the playoffs. I'm right there with you, especially because the way the playoff format works is one game at home, one game on the road, and then it comes back if necessary. And that if necessary is important. And the other thing to worry about, too, is there is no extra time after 90 when it's tied. It goes straight to PKs. The one thing I haven't understood is if that's like from game one or if that's only if it's tied or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's 1-1 at draw at the end of 90. Does that carry over or do we have to solve the game in penalties? That was the only thing I wasn't 100% certain when I looked that up. So if commenters, if you know the answer or if whoever wants to comment how that's going to work, I'm interested in that fact. We've, we haven't really dove into it what are your thoughts on uh on the best of three series on that format i like it i think it's i think it's interesting especially because i like how then the next rounds it just then is single elimination 
but I feel like it's good for publicity for like home fans, like in terms of for the league to make more money if for, for hosting a playoff game, each one gets it. I also think it also allows for more teams to get a rhythm. I think that's also super important for us right now. We are like hitting top stride. I think it's, I like that format to be honest with you. I think it's going to be interesting and I hope they keep it around. I like it because I feel, I mean, the numbers say it too, that we're the better team. So typically the better team wins in these series. Right. But if I was in Salt Lake shoes, FC Dallas's shoes, I would have preferred to have that one and done series because it's very rare. The Cinderella story happens with these best of three series or any kind of series for that matter. But in the way, like, I mean, if you look at overseas, it's kind of like, okay, finishing a top four or winning the league, that's like the most important. In MLS, it was kind of like, well, what's so important about finishing in the top now? Now it actually gives you a real reason to finish top four, especially when majority of the like Western and Eastern Conference makes the playoffs, like nine teams make the playoffs here. But it gives you an incentive now to actually play the entire season, not so much of a a load management type of a deal. So I, I think that's a... It's a good incentive to give. You're telling me Cincinnati doesn't care that they won the uh, Supporter Shield? (laughs) I mean, I think Glenn nailed it. Only the teams that, like, win it actually really care about it. But once (laughs) playoffs start, like, doesn't really matter anymore. Now you got to kind of put up or shut up. And I I think it will be – it will be interesting to see who can – who hits their stride at this moment. I think right now, if – honestly, we looked at, like, a power ranking – I think we are like tops. Like the way our form is right now is making us so dangerous going forward. And the fact that we are hosting, if we keep moving on, moving on to the next round and we look that good on the round with this starting lineup, I think that's the best part. We found our legit starting lineup going forward here. That's producing goals and also having excellent defense. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There's no scary team than us or Orlando. I think. Like right now, I would not want to touch us or Orlando. Um, and to Glenn's point in this interview, I did say that St. Louis won the Supporter Shield, so that's how important it is. No one, no <laughs> one remembers. It's playoff time. It's a whole new season. Uh, before we jump into this interview, Brandon, let's do a quick hit. So I have the list of the playoff games coming up this next week. Let's start off with the two wild card games and let's get each other's predictions. First, we have Sporting Kansas City and San Jose Quakes. Thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go with KC just because their overall standard in MLS, they've been the team that has been one of the most consistent franchises throughout. So I think that they take a 2-1 win. I agree with you. I I mean, I hate that we're the ones who gave them their fate, but I think Portland deserved to be there over San Jose. San Jose seems kind of a mess right now. I agree. Um, on the other side, we have the other wild card game, New York Red Bulls against Charlotte FC. So amazingly, Red Bulls hold the longest playoff streak across any American sport in terms of teams that made the playoffs. So that's also pretty amazing. But they, uh, they're they very, very streaky. I'm going to go with Charlotte with the upset. I think that they're a team that is somebody that will come up for a surprise. So I'm going to take Charlotte in a 2-0 win. Huh. I'm going to stick with New York. I don't – Charlotte hasn't done anything that wowed me or, or amazed me. I mean, they, they... – Barely got into the wild card, so I'm going to stick with Red Bull. Um, no, there's there's no like expertise there. It's just I'm more aware of Red Bull and what they've done as opposed to Charlotte. So, um, Okay, so let's go back to the West. We have Seattle Sounders against FC Dallas. 
um, for some going Sounders, not just because I hate Dallas, but I don't think Dallas has been good enough in terms of scoring goals this season. Uh, and the Sounders at home are almost impossible to beat. So this this is one I think Seattle moves on for sure. Just because of what's happening with the Rangers and Astros, I cannot give <laughs> FC Dallas any kind of love. So even if I felt another way, you're not going to hear from me. So we'll both agree with Seattle there. Next in the West, we have LAFC against Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, so LAFC, it all comes down to uh, Dennis Boyega and uh, Carlos Vela. They are scoring 90% of their goals, but luckily for them, they have been dominating in that sector. So they are the reigning champs, so I'm going to go uh, LAFC. I agree there. I don't think Vancouver has that star that can just take over the way LA seems to have an abundance of them. Um, next, I mean, what's the point of asking? Are Houston Dynamo against Real Salt Lake? Dynamo move on, baby. Dynamo move on. I don't think we need a third game. That's my prediction. We finish it in Seattle. Yeah. I think we uh, I think we crush them, to be honest with you. I really feel that way. And then the uh, – well, St. Louis will play the winner of that wild card, so we'll go ahead and skip that. Let's go back to the east, uh, Orlando versus Nashville. Uh, you kind of mentioned it. Orlando's in a scary form right now. I think that they will definitely – it will be a tough test. Nashville is a very underrated squad, but I'm with you. I think – I mean, they did finish – they were in the champions in the uh, League Cup, so they faced off against Messi. They put up a tough game, but I'm, I think Orlando right now is just hitting their playoff stride. Yeah, they're scary. I'm glad that they're in the other side of no the conference map because, man, uh, <laughs> we have Columbus Crew and Atlanta United. That one is such a toss-up that it's kind of insane. Um, Columbus is somebody that has a ton of goal scorers, but I feel like they very much have underperformed this season. Atlanta with Thiago Mata, I mean, he has been playing absolutely insane. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna go with the upset here. I, I don't know if you can even call it an upset, but I, I'll take Atlanta. But that's the one I am so. If I have to bet on, I'm skipping betting those that series. To be honest with you. So I pretty much um, so far have gone with the favorites each game. This is gonna be my upset pick as well. Um, it's too close to call. It's 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 very close to call. Columbus, I don't think has done anything that would separate themselves from Atlanta. They. I think it's 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 a case where it's not who's the better team, it's the better team that day. And so 100%. I think that's what's going to happen with these two because I, I couldn't call it. Um, so uh, Atlanta's going to be my upset pick for that round. Um, and then last on the East, we have Philadelphia Union against New England Revolution. So this one's interesting because they played each other to end the season and it was the Revolution coming away with that one. Philly on paper should dominate this but they have kind of sputtered towards the end of the season and that's extremely shocking now philly at home is incredibly tough to beat so i i think i'm going to give the nod to philly but they they need to pick it up real quickly here and find their form again because at the beginning of the season they looked like world beaters and then now ugh. but i i'm, I'm still going to say philly will take it over the revolution Philly has just been so strong these last couple of years, making deep runs in the playoffs. Um, that core group that they have there, they've been here. They've been here recently. Um, just out of experience alone, I would give them the upper hand. And I don't know. I think there's going to be a little added motivation with Bedoya announcing his retirement. So um, might want to send them out. Um uh, riding off on the sunset. So um, I'm going to go with Philly there. I don't think 
I don't think it's going to be that 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 um, close. To be honest with you, I don't think that goes game three games either. So, um, well, there you have it. Those are our predictions for the first round of the playoffs. We will be back next week, hopefully discussing a Dynamo win. We'll sign it off, y'all. We hope you enjoy the interview. I'm Jamal. And I'm Brandon. And this is The Way We Ball. The Way We Ball podcast is looking for partners. Would you like your business shouted out every single episode? Maybe you would like your logo here. Maybe here. Maybe you would like your logo as a presenting sponsor. We have a ton of opportunities and we're looking forward to help building your business as we build this podcast. So give us a shout at the way we ball podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of our socials underscore the way we ball. Again, that's the way we ball podcast at gmail.com or any of our socials underscore the way we ball. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back the way we ball podcast. Brandon, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. How are you guys doing? Doing great, doing great. Today's special guest, we have Professor Eduardo Arambula from the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. He's a mental performance consultant. He's worked with athletes in Liga MX, the women's Liga MX as well, Major League Soccer, as well as Olympic athletes, uh, world champion boxers, uh, collegiate and high school athletes as well. So he has an impressive resume. He's also spent some time in the MLS uh, before we jumped on this or before we pressed record. We were talking about some of his uh, history and experience working with Columbus Crew, to be exact. Um, honestly, his resume deserves its own episode. But today we are talking playoffs. We are excited for the first time in about seven years. The Houston Dynamo, your Houston Dynamo, are back in the postseason. It feels amazing. So we figured what better way to get things kicked off, then talk to Professor Arambula and kind of talk about what the guys are going through this week. Different personalities like Hector Herrera, Ben Olsen, what is their mindset going into a playoff week? Um, and then even like the bench guys like uh, Ivan Franco, like what's going on in their head during the playoffs? So uh, Professor Arambula, I hope I did a decent job. Uh, why don't you say hi to the people out there? How's it going, everybody? Thanks for the invitation, and I'm very happy to be here. Short and sweet, just like my last relationship. All right, let's get to it, guys. So, uh, Brandon, did you want to kick anything off or did you want to kick things off? Did you have anything specific you wanted to ask uh, Professor Arambula? No, so I was actually going to first start off with kind of a very broad question here uh, in terms of what is the significant difference for a team mindset going from season to playoffs? So the first thing is going to be uh, excitement, event importance. Uh, there's a difference between playoffs and the regular season. Obviously, you want to approach every single game from preseason to regular season to playoffs to the championship with a professional approach. But, you know, event importance, playoffs, is there's a little more on the line. So if uh, there is any sign of mental weakness, uh, it's it might come through, let's say, uh, you might see it as uh, nervousness, uh, anxiety, okay? And the opposite of that is seeing the opportunity. You want to be excited. Uh, for the opportunity, not so much, you know, you know, being anxious or, or nervous, but, you know, it's easier said than done. And that's why you got to work the mind. That's what it, why you got to do mental training. So hopefully all this, all this, all this work that they've done, and I, I hope they've done a lot of mental training to this point so that they can approach the playoffs with a, a good mindset of, you know, they're excited to be there. And there's hopefully there's no anxiety and just 100% joy that they're there and they're excited for the playoffs. Can you kind of give like a, an example of like what some mental training would consist of? Yes. So first of all, you know, for example, uh, team cohesion, 
You know, one of the things that you want to work early on is team cohesion. So, for example, when it comes to team cohesion, there's two types. You have social cohesion and you have task cohesion. So social cohesion is the social aspect, you know, time beyond practice and time beyond competition. So let's say they get together, the team gets together to watch the Super Bowl. Okay, they get together to watch the Astros. That's social cohesion. And that is important. But then you also have task cohesion and task is when they fight for the for the groups, for the team's objectives. Uh, You don't have to get along beyond the soccer field. As long as you fight strong for the team, you're good to go. And the best example that I can think of is Kobe and Shaq. You know, they didn't get along inside the basketball court, but they knew they needed each other and they worked really, really hard for each other. And that's what helped the Lakers. So working this early, early on in the season, you want to create this culture where the team is very task focused, very task oriented. And that's going to help them. That's going to help them take them to the next level. And how do you do this? How do you improve team cohesion? Well, there's things that the rookies got to do and there's things that the veterans got to do. And actually, I was prepared for this because I was like, I think this is going to be key. So I brought a book that I read, you know, about uh, like 13 years ago. This is Keen, the autobiography. This is Roy Keane. And one of the things that he mentions was when he was a rookie at Manchester United, he said, we after a victory, we went to the hotel and the team was drinking in the hotel, the hotel bar. He said, I was all alone. I was a new kid on the block. He said, Steve Bruce, the captain at the time. He was with the he was with Cantona. He was with the big cats of the team. He saw me. He went to go talk to me. He put around he put uh, his arm around me and he brought me with the big players. He said, "I was I was trying to be very professional, and with that I was completely in the team. You know that made me feel so integrated to the team. The fact that the captain of the team involved me. So what from that story what we learn is that the the veterans of the team they have to involve the rookies in things that they do." So even if it's a new player on the team, hey, he is part of the team. He is part of the family. Involve them in your activities. Okay. Now, what do the rookies have to do? They have to provide support. They have to be proactive to the the veterans and and other players, uh, providing support from what is perceived as a non-leadership position. Everybody has leadership qualities because there's different types of leadership. But in terms of providing support from, like I said, from what is perceived a non-leadership position, providing that support, being proactive, you know, you do, you do good stuff. You, you're there for the players, the big cats, they're going to like that and they're going to involve you. So you have those two things clicking for the team and you're going to have a, a high task cohesion besides many other factors, but that's, those are two factors as, as to how you can improve task cohesion. When you look at like uh, rookies versus a veteran going into the playoffs, would you say mentality wise, is it easier for a rookie to kind of handle the pressure because there's a naive like perspective to it? They don't really know what to handle versus a vet who understands the hard work that goes into it. And then it feels like there's more pressure placed upon them. It, it goes both ways. It depends on, on the person. For example, you look at uh, United States soccer team in 2002, Donovan and Beasley, they were both 20. They went into that World Cup and they were rookies. They didn't, I mean, I'm sure they, they had pressure, but it was not the same pressure as uh, as other players. So they went in there to enjoy the, the World Cup, you see. And now you look at 2006, the the, the, the way uh, Donovan and Beasley played, it was it was a lot more pressure because now, now you're the leaders of the team. Um, so, yeah, there is a little bit of, of that difference. But, it, you know, it goes down to the player as well. Dif- different players, they will respond differently. And um, in terms of the veterans, this is a time where you can – you know, 
share your wealth of knowledge with the, the, the young players. And if you started this process of working together early on in the season, it's going to pay off huge dividends right now. So I, I know I kind of said both sides of the rainbow, uh, kind of like the rainbow roost question. So there is a difference uh, between the players, but yeah, hopefully the rookies have that, that they're there, they're excited and they take it serious and they want to win and hopefully they don't feel pressure. And if they do, well, you have to train your mind. You have to rely on the, on the veterans and obviously rely on yourself as well to try not, 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 not try not to be nervous. I think, uh, um, Eduardo hit on some good points about how, the way this team was built. If you remember, Brandon, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will remember one thing that we did when we signed our new players is we got players with the championship caliber and it could have been NCAA championship. It could have been USL championship championship games. Um, but if you looked at the guys we brought out, they've been there before. They know what to expect. They have the attitude. They have the professional attitude. I feel like in years past, we were just looking for that good deal. Whether yeah. whether it was whether he had championship caliber or not, we just if it made sense financially, let's get this guy work this year picking up these guys leagues throughout the I mean, looked at Edda himself like these guys had some kind of championship experience. And it looks like I mean, look, we're in the crunch time of the season. We played Portland. We've always struggled at Portland and we look just dominant. And I think. A lot of that had to do with that mental aspect. None of those guys, I don't think Artur, I don't think Herrera, I don't I don't think Clark, I don't think any of them were rattled to be playing in Portland this late in the year. Like we we look like the home team that matched. Um to your point also as well, you kind of hit something that I was thinking about. We've talked about it here too. This team looks like they just get along. And I've never seen that with the Dynamo squad. One guy scores, they're all going out there to celebrate. Um Teenage Adebi and Amin, Amin Basi have this like little celebration that they do where they dance in front of the supporters section. And it's just like there's this cohesiveness that I don't think we've seen when Matt Jordan was GM. I don't mean to put him put him on blast like that, but this team looks like they get along genuinely on and off the pitch. And I think you're we're reaping the benefits of that now as the as the postseason starts. No, I'm right there with you, man. And it, it, to your point of bringing in those players that have had championship experience, not only outside internationally, like Herrera with uh, Champions League, et cetera, but Artur's done it in the MLS playoffs. Steve Clark's done it in the MLS playoffs. Franco Escobar has done it in the MLS playoffs. Like, there's a reason why we brought those guys in because they understand that mentality. And th that's kind of like why I'm really interested in this because for us as fans, it's almost been a decade since we've been there. But with these players, you know, now they kind of understand what they're kind of experiencing and going forward to. And so I, I think that's only going to benefit us, especially pushing into this into this first round here. I now, have a question. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go. Well, well, kind of staying on that subject of being mentally rattled, how important is it in the sport of soccer, specifically home field advantage? Because we were really, really wanting that home field advantage, and um, this game was important for us to get it, and we won. Um, so because of that, we got fourth place. So we have home field advantage in a series of three games. For me, the obvious is the weather in Houston. So like Utah, we're playing Real Salt Lake, right? Real Salt Lake's not going to be used to the humidity this late into the year. They're not going to be used to 90-degree Octobers or Novembers with, with humidity. So aside from the weather, mentally speaking, how important is it to have that home field advantage? It, it's very important, uh, but the biggest key is how weak is the other team? Because you can have the weather, you can have the crowd, you can have all of these factors going in your favor. 
which they do count. But if the other team's mentally weak, it's going to affect them more. If they're mentally strong, they, they, they will be able to surpass most of them. And once again, you know, obviously you want those factors going your favor. And it depends on the other team, how well they take those those factors, uh, starting how well they prepare for the humidity, how do they prepare for the environment, the the fans, you know, the traveling, how do you, all of those things are very important, but it depends how strong they are because they could be mentally strong and they could surpass those. They could handle those issues very well. So, uh, so in regards to building off home field and road, is there a stronger connection with the team when they're on the road? Because, like, for instance, you look at the Houston Astros and at home, they really, really struggle. But on the road, they seem to have a ton of success right now. And I'm wondering if it's because they have to band together a little bit more, that they know that the rest of Major League Baseball is going to kind of hate them, quote unquote, at this point. So they have to be there more for each other. And I think that's why they're having more success on the road than actually hearing cheers, which is kind of ironic. Uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again? Yeah. So when a team is on the road, would you say that they have to band together a lot more than they would necessarily at home? This is going to depend on team culture. So how, how do they respond? How do they interact with each other on the road? So uh, obviously, if, if they have more pressure at home, uh, things can happen on the, on the road and it can work for them. Obviously, what you want is you want them to work well, both at home and away. But it, it depends on the, on the team culture. So what factors creating that? Uh, it's it's uh, it sounds like 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 uh, you hit it on the dot. It might be an environmental factor that there's something going on at home. Uh, I, I I wouldn't know what it is, but on the road maybe they don't have that factor, and maybe they feel, they feel more free. It might be a sense of, of freedom that you know they're not that they're not going through something, or they're not they don't have to deal with certain factors at home. I mean on the road. Now, when you worked with like Olympic athletes and stuff like that, do you notice that the athlete feels kind of building off home in a way. Do athletes feel more pressure when they have to do it at, say if the Olympics is being held in America and they're an American athlete, like do they feel more pressure in front of their nation's country or is there a little bit more freedom and relaxation if you're in front of a different culture, et cetera? It depends on the athletes uh, because what you're dealing with is, is interpretation of what, uh, of the, the, the way the athlete interprets the environment. Some athletes are more motivated to, to uh, compete at home. And they see it as an opportunity. Some athletes interpret it as uh, more pressure. So it really depends on the interpretation of the athlete. Uh, and I'm going to say this. I worked with one Olympic athlete, and it was in a team session with a soccer team in Mexico. Uh, he, he won gold medal with Mexico in 2012. I cannot say the name, and uh, I'm not going to say the team. But uh, I, I don't have that much experience working with many different Olympic athletes. Uh, it's just one with that soccer team. But uh, to answer your question, it would have to be it, it depends based on, on the athlete because the, the different person, the different people react uh, different to the same situation. So it depends on the athlete. And a lot of the questions might be like that. So it, it, it depends on, you know, how they interpret the world, how they interpret uh, the, the environment, how they interpret playing at home versus playing uh, away. Uh, and and with the with the Astros, I think it's more. I don't think it's that because I'm sure they enjoy playing uh, at home. It might be certain environmental factors, certain things that they have to go through at home and and not not away. Is it easier for an athlete to mentally handle an individual sport versus a team sport? Mm, not necessarily. Uh, it's uh, the answer would have to be no because every sport. There's, there's a, a journey that you have to walk and there's hurdles that you have to jump and there's things that you have to adapt to. 
different sports have different tasks that you must complete, different things that uh, different checks that you have to complete along the journey. But every sport is going to be it's going to be tough. You know, uh, for example, if it's a MMA fighter, he does have a team around him. The coach, the nutritionist, the sports psychologist, he does have a team around him. Uh, but when he steps into the octagon, it's all by himself. Uh, in that sense, there is pressure. Uh, at the same time, you know, soccer-wise, it's a journey. So let's say there's pressure. There's somebody else that you want to beat because you want to be the starter. So there's internal competition, which is good. But at the same time, it's a different type of pressure. So it, it's they all have pressure. It's just different types of pressures. Um, so like kind of building off more on that in terms of like with the individual there, because like what I was thinking of is when an individual makes a mistake and they cost the team, they seem to really kind of beat themselves up a lot more versus where if it's just an individual sport and they make that mistake, you kind of know who to blame, you know, and it, and it seems like they're able to be, I guess mentally tougher is probably the wrong terminology, but I feel like there's more of a deeper collapse on the athlete when they're in a part of a team aspect. Right. And, and uh, right there, we, we could go back to culture in terms of the team doesn't win. Instead, instead of first starting with pointing fingers, you have to start with yourself. What is it that you could have done better? Obviously, the defender that scores an own goal, he knows he scored an own goal and it's going to be hard for him. But you want him to reset and keep keep going to, uh, for the next play. So it's uh, one, one of those situations where. You want to create the culture in which something goes wrong, you start with yourself. You don't start pointing fingers because that culture is not going to take you anywhere. So start with yourself, and uh, that's that's the way to go. Is there an that, athlete that – oh, go ahead, Jamal. Go ahead, man. Well, before we, we like kind of switch topics, that, that kind of blends itself into this question. And we asked Glenn when we – Glenn Davis when we had him on last week. We have some – we have three players that I'm thinking of specifically – Corey Baird, Nelson Quinones, and most, and especially Griffin Dorsey, that come beginning of the season, a lot of us didn't even want them on the team anymore. They were playing terribly. They just weren't that great. And then Griffin Dorsey, especially, he was up for a man of the week um, in the MLS. They have just turned it on to this new level. They're playing at a new speed. They're playing just scoring goals. They're just whole new players, right? My question to you, um, Eduardo, is, and we asked Glenn this, this success that these guys who already had a reputation in MLS, is that because every day they're playing and training with a Hector Herrera, with Artur, or is it more so of the coaching and the culture that the coaching has established? Is one more important than the other? They, they, they are all important. You want a, a time is a friend of credibility. You want a coaching staff that's credible and obviously you want them to have the teams and, 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 and your best interest in mind. At the same time, you know, they could, they could sign a player that motivates you to play better. I, I wouldn't know which one, which one is it, but obviously you want all these factors uh, to be at, at its best, whether it's the coaching or the players and the, the signings that you get. And uh, that's, that's what you need in terms of, uh, in, in terms of the situation that you're talking about. So, in regards to the players not playing very good in the beginning, or maybe the team didn't want them, you know, as long as they experience their first taste of success, you're going to, as long as they do that, that's, that's good for them. Cause once you experience success, your confidence goes up. So once it, I don't know if you could go back to that first game where you're like, Hey, this is that goal, or this is that play that changed their, their, their entire season. 
the crazy thing is, is I think you can. Like, it w- was literally overnight. Like, I think there is a specific game for each one of those guys where you're like, wait a second, who's this guy? And they've just built off of that. And it's it's amazing to see. And it's incredible for us. It happened at the right time. Quinona specifically, he we had him yeah. on a loan. Just to give you some context, he was here on a loan. His loan was going to be up in a few weeks. And it, it was pretty much a done deal. He was going back to Columbia. And he just had two games, uh, just a whole different level. Well, that loan turned turn into an extension and it looks like we're going to keep him permanently, but he just, he hit a stride at the right time. And it looks like each one of those guys, probably Griffin Dorsey more so than anyone else has just built off of these successes that they've been having. Um, but I mean, yeah, Glenn basically had the same answer you had. I was hoping for something clickbaity so we can put that on the title, but you should be a politician Eduardo. It's a... so, so I know I'm aware of the response that I'm giving. I'm doing the rainbow roost, uh, but at the end of the day, every factor is important. And, and with success, uh, you know, um, in, in biology, the question is, what came first, the chicken or the egg? In sports psychology is, does success breed confidence or does confidence breed success? And here is the secret. Success breeds confidence. Success guarantees an, uh, an improvement of confidence. Confidence facilitates success. Confidence alone does not guarantee success. It makes it easier. You want to walk through life being confident and you're going to win most of the battles. But it's success that breeds uh, confidence. It guarantees boost, a confidence boost. And success only facilitates. It makes success easier. So what you want, right now what we're talking about, was it the signings or was it the coaching staff? You want a coaching staff that will give you your opportunity. And obviously, you, you got to take advantage of it. And if you experience success, boom, there you go. Confidence goes up. You enjoy your what you're doing a lot more, a lot better. And it's going to be a better journey. But you need that opportunity to experience success. Why does it seem like on the outside looking in that majority of the successful coaches have been those that are more mentally harder on their players, not so much positivity and everything's rainbows and you all get rewards and I love you all, but it seems like the most winning coaches of all time are the ones that are essentially the biggest jerks. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I, I wouldn't know why. Uh, I do know that it, it has a lot to do with credibility if they see you as a credible coach, they're going to listen to what you say. I remember the first coaching course I took back in uh, San Antonio. This is January 2007. It was my first soccer coaching course, and I went to the to the coach, the head coach, the one that organized the clinic, uh, Neil Hall from San Antonio. And I said, how do you get players to listen to you? And he said, the moment you speak, your credibility starts to come out your mouth. So it's not that you say a magic word or, or you know, it's that the moment you speak, your credibility your experience, your knowledge, your judgment, because it's not just about having the arsenal. It's about having the arsenal and having the judgment when to use it. So you may know when to do certain subs uh, or or you might know certain uh, strategies and techniques, but you got to know when to use them. When is this player has to go in? When do I need to talk to this player? How do I need to talk to this player? Or do I sub them out and blast them, you know, in front of the, the, the crowd in front of the world? So it's it's having the weapons and it's having the judgment. And how do you get the weapons and judgment? There's only one one way. One way you have to walk the walk. If you take shortcuts, you're going to pay the price. You don't want to take shortcuts. So you want those coaches that didn't take shortcuts. You want those coaches that are credible. So you know, regardless of their personality, credibility is going to go a long, long way. So time is a friend of credibility. Do you think there's going to be a change in the athlete the upcoming athlete i should say with in terms of the mentality that it seems a lot more is 
their their social media chasing in terms of that they need that instant recognition they need that instant likability do you think that this is going to be a tougher thing for them to mentally prepare compared to the previous athletes of generations what i see with that is if in case there is a change it's going to be in teamwork because uh social media might have an impact i i cannot look into the future but if it does i think it's going to be if you have a lot of followers it might affect your mindset thinking that you're somebody when in reality you still need a lot of work on the field okay i think if it happens it's going to be through that that route now if you're mentally strong and yeah you you take the selfies and you do all these things but you still perform as long as you're performing and you're being a good teammate you're being a team player uh you're you're good to go obviously there's a time and place for selfies you're not going to take a selfie when the coach is uh, doing his pregame speech, getting you ready to go to war. You're not going to take a selfie right there. Uh, but I think uh, the immediate gratification, it might do that. The, the the likes, the followers, it might it might make somebody think that they're somebody when they still need a lot of work. Um, going to switch lanes on you a little bit, Eduardo. So I know you're a, a L3 fan, so you're familiar with, with Herrera and, and some of the other guys in the MLS. I remember, let's call it MLS 1.0. I remember those years, the Mexican national player had a stigma to them. I'm talking about um, Guatemoc and um, what's his name? The defender uh, with the Red Bull. Currently? You don't know no, his no, no, name. No, no. I, dude, know. I'm having a brain fart. I know his name. <laughs> I know his name. Rafa Marquez. Uh, Rafa Marquez. And then you look. I'm gonna have to edit some of that. And then, um, <laughs> and then you look at today's Mexican player, Carlos Vela, Hector Herrera. They're not only performing; they're performing at a high level. What happened to what happened in that time frame where the Mexican players looked like they're respecting the MLS a little bit more? So it has a lot to do with two factors. And uh, I remember since the early 2000s, I used to talk to my brother about this. And we talked about the the American mindset. You look at the NBA, America has the best uh, basketball league, obviously the best American football league, the best baseball league in the world. And it's the way you operate, that professionalism, that uh, or level of organization. So even when MLS was 10 clubs only, and that's when Houston was San Jose Earthquakes. We saw the way that MLS was operating and we would talk and we would say, you know what? I think right now, yeah, Liga MX is better. But in the long run, it looks like this is going to shift. I mean, if, if America's the best at, at, uh, at the best leagues, they have the best leagues in, in, in baseball, basketball. What makes you think they cannot do the same thing in soccer over the years? Working with credibility and not taking any shortcuts. If you take shortcuts, you're going to pay the price. So that's that first part in terms of uh, the way the, the, the professionalism culture, uh, you know, very organized. That's huge for America. And, and that definitely benefits Major League Soccer. And that growth mindset, hey, you know, we have 10 teams right now, MLS 1.0, but it's not what we do. It's not, this is not fixed. This is, we can still grow from here. So let's keep going. You know, even even when when Dwayne De Rosario he was playing for the Earthquakes, he had a goal of the year back in two thousand five, which I think it should have been Freddie Adu with uh, DC United. That goal was great. Uh, we can talk about it later. So, but you know, you still have a lot of good things, and you keep on growing. 
So that's good for MLS. They had that growth mindset and they still have it. At the time, at, let's go back to those same years. Yeah, clearly MLS was uh, inferior to the Mexican League. And the problem that the, some Mexican players or some Mexico fans were, 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 do, were having was they had the fixed mindset. Ah, MLS, Liga Mexico is better. Yeah, it is better. But can you see how they're working and how they're getting better over time? Are you able to see that? And many of them didn't see that. And they thought it was going to stay fixed. And this is not fixed. It's like uh, the Gold Cup. Sometimes U.S. Mex- sometimes U.S. takes it. Sometimes Mexico takes it. It's not fixed. It's it's uh, you know it, it can move. You work hard and you can start uh, ben- having those benefits. So to answer that question, it was uh, America's organization and growth mindset. And the problem was that many players they were just seeing the face value of Liga Mekis. They were not seeing its potential, and I think that was a problem. And now you have players. Oh, they respect MLS now. You know, uh, I'm a Mexico fan. I'm a Mexico fan, and I respect MLS. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I follow uh, MLS as well. And But, yeah, so growth mindset and organizational culture. And over there was the fixed mindset. They weren't seeing the potential it had. Some some coaches had. Some coaches would talk about the potential, but not all of them. It's crazy because I remember um, when we announced at ETA, there was like on Reddit and Twitter and stuff, there were people who were skeptical about Edetta, thinking that he was just coming here for a payday. He was already getting older. And again, it's just the, the Mexican national player had that had that reputation of just coming in, cashing out and calling it a day. I mean, it doesn't help. Houston whiffed on their Mexican player signings, like whiffed Gubo, Landine. Uh, we just had a terrible track record. So it was just, uh, I wanted Adetta to succeed so much. Um, so it was such a, a breath of fresh air that he, it took a while too. I, I'm not going to say it was the immediate home run, but it did take a while. But I'm so glad that it's working out because Houston needed it, that market needed it, and hopefully it'll just grow from here. You know, there's a game, a U.S.-Mexico game, that happened uh, one in 2003 and one in 2004. The one in 2003, they tied 0-0. It was a year after the World Cup uh, elimination of Mexico, and I, I heard uh, that that the American players were saying that they knew of Mexican players that when they booked that game, I think it was in Houston. It was a 0-0 in 2003 in Houston, actually, that the Mexican players were saying, nah, why, why didn't we get a, a friendly with a better team, a team that we're going to learn more from? And, I mean, they, they tied. And then you take it to 2004, I've never seen a game where USA dominates Mexico the way that USA dominated Mexico. It was not 2013 when Landon scored in uh, the 2-0 over there in Columbus. It wasn't none of those games. It was the 2004 uh, U.S. versus Mexico in Dallas, Texas. If I saw that full game, and, man, USA was just dominating. The score was 1-0, but the score didn't reflect the dominance, you know, the, the, the Donovan taking shots to the uh, to the pole and the way, like, I don't know, you just saw the – the, the, the way the U.S. played, they completely dominated. And to me, that was a sign of what was to come in the future. Uh, and, well, I mean, Mexico has to work harder. Um, I guess so. I guess we can focus again on the on the Dynamo specifically. What's uh, What do you think their training week is like this week? Does anything change? Uh, mentally, are they preparing any ty- any way differently? Are they doing any kind of like team activities? 
they, they should be, uh, from a mental standpoint, you want to be uh, super united. You want to be definitely doing some mental work, whether it's individual or teamwork. Uh, that depends on the situation. I would have to be there to be able to tell you. Uh, but let's say somebody's nervous, somebody feels pressure, individual sessions. You want to build uh, more team unity. You want the team to be more bonded, to be a cohesive unit. Definitely you need some team, team activities. We In had, terms uh, of, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go No, no, go ahead, go ahead. In terms of what's working, definitely keep what's working. Going into the playoffs, uh, it, I, I don't know. Obviously, the, the, the only thing that they have, they should be thinking about is Real Salt Lake. Don't think about the future. Don't think about future games. It's only Real Salt Lake, and that is it. That's the only game that matters. So we, we had mentioned in one of our episodes, uh, St. Louis has got the Supporter Shield this year. They were Points-wise, they were the strongest team. They're a brand new team. This is their first year in the league. They have a brand new head coach. Am I crazy for thinking we have the upper hand because we've had a head coach that's coached in this league for a decade? Is that crazy for me to think? There's pros and cons. There, there you go, <laughs> my, my political response. There's pros and cons. Here's the key, though. The, the, the biggest thing the biggest thing in terms of confidence is you don't see it from the, from the standpoint of are they better or are we better? You don't see it because, uh, for example, with Salt Lake, on paper, we, we're better. But you don't want to think of, think of it like that. Or with St. Louis, well, they, they got the supporter shield, they're better. What you want to think is, do we have enough? And Houston coming in in fourth place, they have enough to go all the way and to win it. I don't know if they're, if they're the best team. But when you go into the playoffs, being number four, you have more than enough. It's like... Uh, uh, Mexico, Germany in the World Cup of 2018. You know, Mexico had more than enough to beat them. Germany's still better. You just got to find a way to beat them that day. You just got to be the better team that day. So Houston-wise, uh, going, going back to Houston, they do have the upper hand against Salt Lake, but the key is not to get overconfident because Real Salt Lake's preparing. They're, they might be saying, look, you have to assume that Real Salt Lake is going to prepare with everything they've got. So you got to do the same thing. You have to prepare. Do not get overconfident. We've beat them uh, twice already, you know, in the, the last two times we faced them. Uh, we got this. Well, how do you say that we got this? Like, we got this. We should relax. Or we got this. Let's go show them that we got this. It's, it's the same word, same phrase, but different approaches. I think Houston has the upper hand, but they have to go show it. They have to show why. So it's all, it's all about Salt Lake. In terms of like a star player, in terms of if you were to talk to Ache Ache right now, what would you kind of address to him that he needs to do to make sure that the rest of the team is following suit or that he's being the leader that he should be? Uh, it's going to be verbal leadership. Uh, a player like Ache Ache has a credibility uh, and uh, he needs to use that, whether it's verbal leadership, whether it's uh, leading by by. Uh, by example and by choice, the choices that you make, you know, even the smallest stuff at the at the hotel, that goes a long way. It, it goes to show how in tune you are to the team's objective, to the to your objective. So leadership in terms of being vocal, leadership by example, and leadership by choice. So everything you do now, I mean, it's it always is about attending to detail. You have to pay attention to detail, and if you win the small battles, you, know, you win enough battles, you're going to win the war. So staying proactive, he has to stay proactive and being a leader in that locker room, being a leader for the team. And, and also it depends. Everybody has different leader, leadership qualities. 
Some of them are more vocal. Some of them, it could be a comedy leader. They're really good at telling jokes. And, hey, there's times where you need the jokes. It might be the locker room. It might be the, the bus. It might be the airplane. Uh, let's find his leadership qualities and let's let's use them. Obviously, the ones that I gave you, they're more over the, you know, kind of like general. But let's let's find his leadership qualities and let's use them. Maybe he has a lot of heart. Maybe he's a, a real professional in his nutrition. And, you know, he's a good example. Uh, I don't know. But let's find his leadership qualities and let's let's make sure he, he uses them. I'm going to I'm going to put our fans on blast here. How important is it or how how much do you believe in energy, energy from the fans, energy from the stadium? Do you believe that that energy transfers over to the to the athlete? Is is are the Dynamo going to play different when that home stadium is loud? People are banging the drums, people are screaming, as opposed to like those COVID games when nobody was in there, it was quiet. How important is it um, to get energy from the fan base? Uh, it's very important. Uh, it's uh, you, you kind of see their mindset, and if they're there a hundred percent, you know it, it it has an impact on you. Obviously, you still want to focus on the task, you want to focus on the game. But when you see a packed stadium and they're all rooting for you and chanting and they have nice chants and they're organized and they're really, really loud, it helps you. It definitely motivates you. It's a, motiv- a very motivating environment. Okay. Uh, so imagine uh, Mexico coming out of Azteca when Azteca was Azteca. It was big, big uh, for, for Mexico. So, you know, the fans, the key right here is controlling the controllables. So the Houston Dynamo is a big, big family. And it's obviously the ownership, it's a front office, it's the coaches, it's the players, and it's also the fans. Fans are also part of that Houston Dynamo family. So if I'm a fan for Houston Dynamo, all right, I want Dynamo to win the MLS Cup. What can I do from within what I control? I got to chant. I got to be there. I got to, I want to be louder than the other, you know, I want to have a, a negative impact on the opposing, on the, on the rival. So with it, the, the, the key is within what you control. So in terms of how important it is, you have to value this as something that's very important. It's you're going to give your, your players motivation and you want to be really tough against your opponents. I'm going to mention this book again, Roy Keane, the autobiography. He has a story, once again, from Manchester United. And, you know, over there in England in the stadiums, many of the seats, they're like one or two yards away from the from the sideline. And he says that many teams, when they would come over to Old Trafford, they were already defeated by the time they came out. He said, we were in the tunnel, and you could just see it in their body language. They had they, they had marked Manchester United away as a loss. So why? Because the stadium, the, obviously the team, it's a very strong team, but also the stadium and the impact of the fans. And obviously, if you're a fan, that's what you control. So that's the positive impact you can have. You know, uh, this is a... Uh... We're uh, Liverpool fans, Eddie. So just Kenny Dalglish and Steven Gerrard both have autobiographies. Just throwing it out there. Sounds 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 good. Sounds I'm good. sure they'd have a different opinion about Old Trafford and yeah, <laughs> right. Had a different experience too. Yeah. That's why, and that's why we know their names because they were able to withstand that pressure. And the fans might be right here. Yeah, go play at Anfield. You know, same thing for you. Uh, and that's why Roy Keane says most teams, not all teams, but most teams. Yeah, that's my one thing. Like, if I could change anything about um, the Shell Stadium, uh, Shell Energy Stadium, I would have because there's some separation between the fan and the pitch. I would drop that wall a little bit lower, push it in, because um, you just can't beat that that 
home field advantage. I love seeing that on the ground whenever the pit, whenever the the seats are on the pitch. Um, but folks, you heard it from a professional. Come to the game; it makes a difference. They need your energy. They need to feed off of it. It's going to be tough. It's a Sunday night, uh, Sunday evening, I should say. It's five o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, but. Uh, I think Brandon mentioned it on a space. You're showing up for the Astros, so there's no excuse. And the way things are looking right now, there won't be much more baseball. <laughs> um, well, all right, Eddie, we have about five more minutes with you. Uh, we gave you a, a time frame that we want to respect. Um, do you have any predictions? I uh, all I can say is that I, I don't I don't do predictions, but I can tell you who I hope wins, and I hope definitely Dynamo wins. Nice, nice. Uh, if you get on the Salt Lake pod, we better not hear a different answer. So, yeah, uh, I hope they all have fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope Professor... it's a growing experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Professor Arambula, would you like to shout out um, anything you have going on? Let the people know where they can reach you if they're interested in your services um, and in, in your consulting services for the athlete. Um, please feel free to shout that out. and we'd uh, love to add the link to the uh, description. Yeah. My uh, Instagram is eddie.arambula and uh, my email is ownedtheenergy one at gmail.com. In case somebody wants to consult, uh, let me know and we can, we can start. We'd hope to get you on the pod. You have an amazing story, um, especially with those old MLS days that I'm sure people would love to hear. Um, but you heard it here for, first folks, get out to shell energy stadium, be loud, do your part. Because as Mr. Arambula said, you're a part of the team. You're a part of the family as well. Um, before we end things, uh, Eduardo, we have a tradition that we started last week. Uh, but traditions have to start somewhere, right? So we'd love to get a I'm introduce yourself, and this is the way we ball. I'm Eduardo Arambula, and this is the way we ball.